In this episode, we're talking to Francis Toy, CEO of Unilink. Unilink is a unique software company operating in a very unique sector. Starting as a provider of self-service kiosks, allowing prisoners to order items from the prison shop, Unilink is now a world leader in probation and community correction software applications. Underpinned by biometrics, their software integrates seamlessly to deliver security, efficiency and value while being proven to help rehabilitate prisoners. Leading an award-winning company, Francis has over 20 years experience working in a sector that for many of us would be completely alien. Francis, thank you for joining us today on the Founder and Chief podcast. Thank you, Paul. You started the business in 1994, and as I said, you've now won multi-awards. You've got over 200 staff, international offices. Can you somehow condense that journey for us all and talk to us around how you started the business and where you are today? Okay. Uh, My first main employer was IBM, and working for IBM, I learned a great deal about the IT market from a commercial perspective, uh, from a sales, commercial, and a managerial perspective with different roles in IBM, which was a very good training ground for me. And then uh, back in uh, 93, uh, IBM cut its, I was working in the local authority business of IBM and back in 93 IBM cut that business uh, and I volunteered to leave and they very helpfully gave me some money to leave and I used that to set up an IBM business partner uh, in 94 um, which was reselling uh, IBM kit to local authority customers. Okay. Customers with whom I already had commercial relationships. And I'd asked IBM, I said, well, would you mind if I did this? Uh, and IBM's attitude was, well, we've just got the business. It would be really great if you did this. So it was a good partnership. And um, after about three years of working together, we were turning over uh, three million and had about 10 employees. And it was a good business at that time. And I ran it like that for. Uh, to about 2000, um, at which point, and I, and I always remember this, uh, I kept being asked, what's your USP? What's <laughs> yeah. your USP as an IBM business partner selling some hardware? What's your unique selling point? And I always found that question difficult to answer. And the the consequence of that was that the market became over time gradually more and more competitive margins fell and it wasn't a sustainable business model and i was fortunate that in 2001 i bought a small software business uh, based uh, near southampton which was had been part of a of another business partner uh, and uh, which had was doing business with the police. And I, I'm sure you can imagine, selling to the police is very difficult from just a standing start. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be qualified, you have to be trusted. So just them being there, being you know, selling to the police was valuable. And I bought that business and the team there were also ex- Uh, experts in biometrics, having supported uh, the first national system 
national APHIS system, as an automated fingerprint ID system, uh, to have been brought over from Canada. And uh, it came up, and it was a consequence of the privatization of prisons and immigration centers that a company, UK Detention Services, wanted some software to run a, a new immigration center, Harmonsworth, near Heathrow. And we bid for this to, to develop this software, which would be using fingerprint biometrics and facial images. And we won that contract uh, and developed some software to run Harmonsworth in from a standing start in six months. And it was very successful. And the company that uh, had this uh, had prisons as well. And they said, well, could, could we run this in prisons? Uh, and uh, we thought I'd do this. And then we, uh, I said, of course you can. Uh, and obviously we had to modify it somewhat. So we went from having an inmate, uh, 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 a, um, a detainee management system to a prison management system. So we had both, but we had a few licenses. And I could see that we had, whereas I tried initially to, to set up a business saying to police, I could see that there was a multiple working in the sector of prisons and immigration. And so I thought, well, the reason that the private sector helped us was that they were prepared to take a level of risk, which was an anathema to the public sector. Right. Because you can imagine the public sector cannot afford to have things go seriously wrong, uh, whereas the private sector has things go seriously wrong. They, they will throw everything at it to sort it out, uh, and but the public sector won't suffer reputational damage. To, so over a period of years, we won all of the private sector suppliers to uh, the Ministry of Justice, that's Serco, Sodexo, G4S, uh, and Mighty, uh, and they all started using our software. And uh, that meant we had a repeatable business. Uh, Serco took it out to Australia, and later G4S uh, followed it out to, to Australia, and also we had a couple of installations in New Zealand. So we sort of become an international company uh, almost by accident, uh, and um, you know, I sometimes think of myself as an accidental entrepreneur. You know, I'd set out to, to create a, a business of twenty people, and already, sort of, uh, I had forty to fifty people at this time. Um, we then took what we had in the private sector and presented that to the Ministry of Justice, and eventually convinced them to run a digital prisons project. And we are now out in, a, in between 20 and 30 prisons in uh, the UK Ministry of Justice, uh, which is very significant. Mm -hmm. uh, we've also won self-service contracts in uh, the state of South Australia uh, and in Norway since. This, this, um, we had a particular unique aspect of prisoner management, which was um, a product doing uh, prisoner self-service. And that meant uh, prisoners did things like uh, buy things through uh, an electronic shop. Uh, they um, put money on their phone. They made requests for things like uh, medical appointments, going to the gym, uh, religious services, 
all the sort many sorts of requests that they make. They they booked their own visits. Um, you know, we did. A, uh, they looked at their finances to check that their uh, local bank account in the prison was had the money in that they expected, uh, which was money from friends and relatives and money that they earned while they were there, and, and so on. And this this is a this became very popular amongst the prisoners, and it also meant that prison officers didn't have to do, uh, frankly, administration on behalf of prisoners. Mm -hmm. um, because all the self-service activities done by prisoners were uh, basically replaced a piece of paper that otherwise a prison officer would have to process. Um, that's a few years ago. Since then, we bought uh, a company called Beaumont Colson in the UK who had developed and support uh, National Delius, which is the probation management software in the UK. Uh, and we uh, today we support and develop National Delius uh, for the Ministry of Justice uh, with a team of people uh, helping out uh, the digital teams in uh, MOJ. So we are now doing both prisons and probation. And we did that because the, the demand that we are seeing from, we've we, we, gone over this period of time from selling to an individual prison, to selling to a group of prisons, to okay. selling to a country. And we were seeing that countries uh, like, uh, were requesting, like countries like Norway, uh, Belgium, Netherlands, and Denmark and others, were requesting systems to manage prisons and probation uh, throughout their whole country. And over this time, we had got big enough to go from saying, well, we'll do a, sim uh, a simple install in one prison to uh, actually uh, planning systems for a whole country. Uh, Are there many crossovers, Francis, in terms of different, I sort of jump around my questions a little bit. Yeah. Do, do different countries offer um, different kinds of services or is it quite a sort of um, uniformed way that, 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 that prisoners are sort of managed, etc.? You know, the complexities and working in different jurisdictions aside from language? Yes, uh, there are complexities. Um, uh, in Norway, um, <laughs> you can, in certain circumstances, because uh, uh, you have holiday from your prison time. Okay. Not, not a concept that you get much in the UK. Uh, I, I I did tell, I had a conversation with the Norwegians recently where I said, I found it amazing that you could take holiday. And so they did point out that it wasn't everybody that could take holiday. It was only in special circumstances that you yeah, could. I can accept, yeah, I can appreciate that, yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it, is, it is a bit different. But of course, yeah, all, all these countries have, you know, probation services and prison services, they have courts giving court orders to be carried out by the prison and probation authorities. So there is a, uh, a basic commonality uh, between um, the operation of prison and probation in each, uh, in each country. And we have developed now, developed software to run uh, prison and probation in multiple countries by being a configurable software. Uh, and that's where we've got to today. Today, we're just over 200 people, about 210 people working in the UK, 
uh, working in Europe and working in Australia. Uh, and that's where we are today. Uh, and a very important part of our business is exports, as we can see a lot of potential. So just at a sort of very high level, you've touched on um, a few of the usages of um, your products, just because I know I know your software and, and your products offer many different um, solutions. Just just sort of run us through some of those sort of product suite that you've got in terms of both the prison service and the probation. Yeah. Um, we've de developed, we focused on this area um, because it gives us the USP that it didn't have when we were a business partner. You know, What's a USP, Francis? <laughs> <laughs> a unique selling point, absolutely vital to any business. You've got to have your unique reason to exist. And our, ours is that we're absolute experts in the field of everything related to prison and probation. And quite good on courts and quite good on police, but more so uh, in prisons and probation. And uh, we have a suite of products, which from the outside, we have uh, email a prisoner, which uh, sends messages into, into prison uh, for, and can take replies from, from prisoners. Uh, so it's a, um, I'd say it's a semi-electronic service. If you don't have the devices in a prison, it will print out on paper and the, the messages scan back. And that's from the outside. Then we have in prisons, we have prisoner self-service. And to both of these, we are just adding now prisoner and probation case management, which encompasses the whole process of taking from the court the orders of the court to be carried out in prison and probation across those two. So the sentence of the court, the sentence planning, the case management, how what what you do while the person is in prison uh, and all the details of their case and what happens while they're in prison yeah or and on probation so so that it uh, it forms a good record and by making these products that make the whole thing more efficient we believe we help with rehabilitation of prisoners because it means there's the right information uh, much more capably at the right place, the right time. There isn't, in, in very many countries, there's a sort of complete gap between prison and probation. The data right. has to be sort of resupplied from one to the other. In our products now, we're creating a seamless uh, prison and probation environment. And that is going into Norway, uh, particularly, uh, and uh, also into Belgium. Okay. Really good. Yeah. You, you you mentioned that you um that you will run sort of whole countries um prison software etc and 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 their infrastructure. How do you qualify the actual market? Is it simply on a prison by prison basis? Do you look at geographies and or was another way of asking the question? What's the what's the total addressable market for Unilink? Right. Um, well, I've, I've looked at that 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 question a few times. And it's about, I think I came, the last thing I came on was about one and a half billion per annum. Okay. Um, wow. it, 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 it's big. Um, the US is the largest, um, has the largest prison population uh, by far. Um, 
and but I tend to exclude places like Russia and China for obvious reasons. It's difficult to operate in those places at the moment. Uh, also, we do tend to save prison officers time, uh, make uh, and so you can potentially run run a site with fewer administrative and, and prison officer staff. And those that there then concentrate on what's really important about yeah. running a prison and helping inmates. Uh, but frankly, in a uh, in a poorer country than Western Europe, the salaries of prison officers are not as important uh, and don't uh, the economics of staff salaries don't drive things as okay. much. You know, so, you know, they may not want to save staff particularly yeah. um, because the economics just don't 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 work. So we do tend to concentrate. On, frankly, OECD nations uh, who have, you know, got got um, the issues of staffing uh, in places and of um, tight budgets and um, you know, it's it's it, they've got more challenge. They've got different challenges, and yeah. our our software is suited better to those challenges than it is. I went I went to um, Tihar Jail in Delhi, where right. ten thousand prisoners. Uh, and I started talking about a secure visit system to make sure the right prisoner um, talked to the right visitor, and I and then they explained to me that their problem with visits was finding where the prisoner was because okay. right. they, yeah. they, they, they don't have cells so much as they have rooms for 30 or 40 people and they have to find what place their prisoner is residing in. So it's, you know. I've got visions of Midnight Express in my, in my head now. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Well, the, 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 well I, it, it, this was a huge uh, jail, 10,000 prisoners, much bigger right. than anything in the UK. And it's just, the issues are different yeah, yeah and yeah. we're not suited to pro providing for those issues now when you say how do i compare one country with another yeah i look at the number of prisoners there are websites that give me the number of prisoners and the num and probation people on probation uh throughout the world uh, and um so i can, can, we can compare the sizes and see um where they are okay so look, in terms of Next question around um, barriers to trying to get technologies into into prisons. Yeah. Maybe exclude that kind of example where clearly, I mean, having never visited you know a, a prison in, in that sort of environment, you you know you would you would immediately see the sort of challenges. Maybe in a more developed um, example, developed country example, what are the barriers still in terms of getting your technology or just general technology into prisons? Uh, any technology into prisons. I mean, I mean they're an odd place. Yeah, uh, I can imagine. I will ask you: Have you, you know, have have you been to prison lately? Uh, and I, when I ask people that question, I, 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 yeah, I get a range of answers. You know, like, I can answer I, both. I haven't been to prison lately, and I've not been to prison at all. I'm a visitor <laughs> to prison, so uh, mine is very much from a sort of a Netflix kind of um, exposure. Is probably my uh, the greatest that I can uh, sort of talk around. Yes, yeah, indeed. Uh, and um, they are unusual environments. They're not, they are sometimes counterintuitive. Yeah. Uh, 
And as a consequence, um, IT companies that visit prison with, I've got the latest thing for you, this will be wonderful, blah, blah, blah. They, you need to have experience of the environment before yeah. you can have credibility of it. Yeah. But you need credit, you know, you need experience to get credibility. And um, it's difficult to know where to start. And I, a few years ago, I used to go into an individual prison and try and sell just our, one of our modules, say a secure visits module that takes the biometrics of uh, visitors and prisoners and make sure you release the visitors and not the prisoners. And I would go into a meeting of the senior management team in the prison. Uh, and for the first two or three minutes, the atmosphere would be hostile. It's another IT salesman come to talk about to us, clearly doesn't know what he's talking about and why is he here? And then five minutes in, they would be asking questions and realizing we knew what their problems were. Their problems are people coming in with drugs, uh, trying to make sure to release the right person, uh, trying to take notes and ban visitors who start fighting or dropping drugs or whatever. Uh, and we knew, but we knew all these questions. We knew all, and we knew the answers and we had the answers to it. And uh, it's- Yeah, but even you know, when I've when I spent time on your website and watching some of your video content, even just basic things, but until you're in the system, clearly these things don't appeal to you, but trying to align visitation so that, you, know, you don't have um, two parties visiting actually could be that could cause a conflict in terms of yeah. those visiting hours or making yeah. sure that you, you you you're splitting those up and okay that makes sense but if I'm pen and paper or trying to do it on an excel spreadsheet well it's problematic because that if you can put technology into the stack then already you're just driving efficiencies through yes exactly but our visit system isn't a normal visit system. <laughs> In a normal visit system, you'll let everybody out at the end of the visit. <laughs> we, we, we don't. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So the, the, the barrier to entry is proving your credibility in a different okay. environment. Um, the business has won um, many awards during your time and um, anyone who you know, pays a visit to your website we'll, we'll see those and you know some of them are, are very iconic and you know happy for you to talk around them but is anyone in particular any one award that you've won um especially resonate with you or anything that you're particularly proud of in terms of the recognition that the business has received um yes uh i was uh, um the the award is out of date now i should say but the queen's award for innovation <laughs> 2016 uh, that's absolutely fabulous uh, and um, uh, we are still trying. Um, we are. No, I don't think I can say anything. Um, uh, you know, these are areas. You know, there are awards every year, and uh, keep watching this space. Um, so, in terms yeah. of the 2016 award, what kind of happens then? You know, do you do a visit? Who do you visit, etc.? With the uh, Queen's Award in 2016, uh, we had a presentation by a representative of the Queen uh, in London to a, a uh, meeting that, uh, a presentation that we arranged. And um, after that, I was with others, with all the award winners, we were invited 
um, for a, a sort of drink and snacks at the palace. Wow. Uh, and I was very fortunate to briefly meet the Queen and speak to her. Um, uh, and because she she walked around the the room and I was determined to talk to her. <laughs> I think I could say that. I think I could say this. And uh, she walked past me and I was absolutely tongue tied. And I thought, goodness, what do I say? But I could work out the direction she was going. And I suddenly thought, I, I know what to say. And I, got, and I managed to get to another position where she would be bound to sort of possibly look at me. And um, I, said, I, said, I said to your majesty, thank you very much for the award. Uh, and, she, and she said, well, was it useful? And I said, yes, very much so. Thank you. I said, what do you do? And uh, I explained, explained what we do. Rather shorter than I have just now, by the way. Yeah, no, no, don't worry, sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I should say. But, but it, it was um, it was a, a lovely conversation and she was genuinely interested, which I think is what other people oh, wonderful. say. The closest I've ever been was um, with my wife when we were at Royal Ascot and we just happened to manage the tides when the same floor as she left and um, there was a lot of commotion and uh, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, I'm not a huge royalist personally, but then when someone like that is in your company, it's, uh, it's quite overwhelming, isn't it? It is. Yes, it was quite overwhelming. Yes. And uh, um, that was the, the best award. I, I, we've had a couple of other just digital leaders and yeah. uh, from uh, Tech UK, and I, I value all the awards that we have received. Uh, and it's we, do, we don't put in for, for very many. It's, it's probably less than one a year, but it's nice to, to win the odd one uh, as it you know shows that you are a good company doing uh, interesting and valuable things. Uh, nice. what we aspire to be yeah so francis just to sort of change tact a little bit then um and you're uh, rather unique both in terms of your your end user and uh, as i said you know the software that you guys produce um but many of the ceos and founders that we've interviewed on our podcast ha have raised capital at some at some stage of their venture um and you you haven't Talk to us around, has that, been, has that been a positive decision? You've not wanted external investment, you maybe not needed external investment. Uh, you know, why have you always stayed independent in that sense in terms of bringing other people in? And would that change in the future? Just just to expand a little bit on that. Oh, to, to, to me right now, it's a very topical subject uh, and uh, we are thinking about it. I mean, we have managed um, 28 and a half years without external investment. We, we have occasionally borrowed uh, some cash here and there, you know, half a million from Sunding Circle, uh, had a, uh, an overdraft and that sort of thing. So we have occasionally borrowed, uh, but uh, right now we're borrowing very little. Um, and um, we've got to a size and complexity where I am beginning to consider that some institutional investment might add some value to us more than just the money in the sense that it will say uh to governments you know this is a serious company they're here to stay they're not a you know it's not just a family business they've got institutional investors and we are looking at our growth plans which could be 25 plus percent over the next few years I could see it's a steady 
growth like that. And I think that would be sufficient to justify some external investment. Um, and it might help us. How would it help us? Well, we are talking to governments. And you know, if I can say we've got this institutional investor as well, it won't do us any harm, certainly. And I think there's an opportunity for uh, an external investor to uh, do very well out of such an investment in Unilink uh, over the next few years. So we are looking at, at, at that, uh, funny enough, right now. Um, I want to say we, we have managed without such additional money so far, but it is not, it's getting tougher to do so. It would be better to have um, some more cash in the business than we have today. Um, I'm not saying we don't. We've got over a million pounds sitting there in the business right now, and we'll have two million next month. You know, but um, it would be, I think, helpful to our expansion plans to have a look at, at external investment. So we're we're being to look at. It. I've never been in the position though where I'm absolutely forced to do so. We've managed to buy other, yeah, we've managed to buy other businesses um, from cash flow so far, and we've bought about six or seven other businesses mm -hmm. during during my time. Uh, um, however, you know, if for example we chose to expand into the US, where we'd be likely to buy a business of similar size or a bit smaller than ourselves, we would need you know, tens of millions of dollars, which uh, for which we would look for external investment to achieve that. So that's that's where we're standing. That's where we are now. We are we are we haven't done it. It's been been quite useful in that it in, it makes you think and plan ahead and do so frugally and economically by not having a lot of cash in the bank. Yeah. Uh, so it can be useful, but there is a time possibly when when we need to move on from that. And I, I think that may come in the next year or so. Yeah, yeah. That, that, well, maybe that expansion and that and that acceleration and bringing some additional intellect and network into the business around the board table obviously helps you go to that, yeah. that next level. And as you said, sort of not not credentialises yourself. You already done that in terms of the clients and the you know the regions that you operate in. But actually, just gives you opportunities to say, look, we've got a little bit of firepower behind us as well here, um, and you can maybe take advantage of opportunities that do come across you as opposed to, well, we can do this one and not the other one. Maybe you can do you know two yeah. at the same time, for example. Um, no, thank you for that. You know, it, it, it's a it's a helpful insight. Like I say, many of the people that we've interviewed have raised capital, and you know, you're you're a little bit of an outlier to have built such a um, phenomenal business internationally not not doing that um focus on yourself for a little moment now um leadership style how would either those in the business describe you or are you, are you quite aware of your own sort of leadership style in terms of how you like to run the business um that's a really that's the most difficult question you've asked so far <laughs> i told um, you to be softballers anyway <laughs> um it i think other people uh, I, I would like to say, you know, relaxed and easygoing, but I don't think people would really describe me as that. Uh, I'm pretty damn focused. Um, I'd like to say not a total perfectionist, but um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. 
um, quite uh, aggressive with respect to making sure the business succeeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, reasonably good with people, uh, and you know we've got a fortunately we've got a very good HR team now. Um, I have learnt over the years uh, how to manage people and not be too tough on people. Um, uh, so um, it's 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 a balance. I mean, the the most difficult thing we have today is is managing a remote business with perhaps eight, 70, 80 percent of people working remotely. Yeah. That's harder uh, than it has been, and we always have to communicate more. Uh, than uh, particularly over Teams, Zoom, and so on, uh, than we have done in the past. So we're really used to this. Um, Is that a challenge in terms of thinking around Australia, given the different sort of time difference and you know just the general distance between the two locations? Yeah, Australia's <coughs> quite a challenge. Um, yes, right now it's it, it, yes, it's um, it 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 can be quite a challenge. Fortunately, we've got a good team out in Australia now and they are used to having meetings early in the morning with us or or in the evening uh, that tends to work yeah. um, but uh, during the day is impossible but it's it's getting better uh, as they get established Good so um, I, don't think on. I don't think i've really answered your question i think you'd have to ask my staff this. no no look i can tell for those um, obviously um people who are listening by i can see you being you're being quite humble as well in terms of how you uh attempt to describe yourself but like you know it's an interesting question some you know you've already said look, you know you focus you know what those next sort of um steps are but i, I suppose o- over that time you've learned what you've learned to be patient you've learned to let people sort of grow into their roles haven't you and you know yeah. this doesn't been a sort of a one-way um journey for you hasn't you know it's it, it, it it's had many different sort of shapes and 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 you grow within that uh, that time period don't you yeah. You've touched a little bit in terms of some of the future plans and, you know, something that may be, um, you know, bringing external capital and investors into the business. What else in terms of future plans for Unilink, both in terms of maybe the product um, or different geographies or, or maybe even, you know, looking outside of different sectors? Where do you see the uh, the business growing? I don't know, sort of, sort of next five, ten years or so. Um, well, I sort of tend to look ahead three to five years. Okay. Uh, I could see us... Um, I can see us getting to 500 people in that sort of time scale. Uh, that's assuming we continue the same sort of rate, rate of growth. I could see us establishing um, more in Europe, uh, need a European support center. Uh, we will do more in Australia because that business is getting bigger and we've got opportunities out in the Far East in Singapore, for example. So that will expand. Um, uh, we have got a list of product enhancements and increases that we want to do, which will keep us going for several years, in, indeed. And you know, we you, <laughs> I sometimes think that you know, prisons are the place that that, that IT forgot. You know, that, yeah, yeah, no, I can, I can, yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, yeah, you can because uh, if if you look. There was riots in strange ways in the in the 90s, and these were assuaged by putting a telephone on each wing in the 90s. And we just so that meant 
that the technology they had was a telephone shared by a load of people. I mean, I mean, and they would come out and they would see these things, you know, the iPhone, and think, well, what would you do with that? Because okay. uh, especially people who'd been on longer sentences would would have come out and the iPhone would have been developed to iPhone 10, whereas when they went in, it didn't exist. So there's plenty, but there's a lot of technology we can use to make prisons work better and the interesting thing is to what extent will policy uh, affect that uh, in, okay. in europe normalization of the prison environment is seen as important and that's yeah. saying that you're sent to prison to remove your freedom you're not sent to prison as punishment or for punishment. You're sent to prison as punishment, not for punishment. So interesting, interesting times. I, I believe that uh, it will become more normalised. There will be more. It will hopefully be seen as more of an opportunity to learn, learn new skills and come out with new chances to get jobs and so on, so that uh, there is uh, a better chance of rehabilitation and we can use technology to do that uh, and nice i mean I've, I've i've shared i've shared with you previously that i've got um close contact of mine that are, you know professional contact also would cut them as a a friend who's one of the um you know the largest employers of um of right. of ex-prisoners and um yes probably shares some of those um sentiments that you're um describing there that you know yeah. upon yeah. exit you know there is a yeah, that, that, there is a path um right we have all but finished the podcast now francis right. um two questions last two mm -hmm. questions then that we finished each each interview with this particular um series with um so the first question is who is your icon um any walk of life and what would you say to francis younger francis in the the mid 90s as he set about this journey um albeit probably not quite understanding that it'd end up in the in the prison services but what would you say to young francis in terms of um what you know now um how would you sort of tell him to um you know to, to keep calm so any so your icon and um your your advice to a younger self well it, it used to be elon musk uh, and then he bought twitter <laughs> right, okay. what a mess it's made um well Anyway, he's changed Twitter, shall we say? Uh, don't say what a mess. I am um, my icon. Um, the person I would look up to most is Steve Jobs, because Apple went from nothing under uh, nothing under his tenorship to, you know, if not the possibly the best company in the world, also the richest company in the world with the mm -hmm. iPhone. And he was responsible for the design and the strategy that achieved that. Uh, I mean, that is quite awesome. Um, uh, and uh, so I, I sort of take some lessons from him. I'm not on the same caliber, but I, I'd, you know, he's, he's somebody to learn from. And yeah, as are many people uh, in the, um, uh, <laughs> I take a lot of interest in, in, in um, a lot of people in business, um, not all good ones. Uh, was it Elizabeth Holmes who did Theranos? I mean, that okay, was yeah. 
absolutely bloody fascinating uh, the uh, the tale of her blood analyzer um on the uh which ended up in court with her in court uh, i think she's got a prison sentence eventually for it i mean i learned <laughs> that they're not icons perhaps the reverse but you've got to learn from whoever is there yeah. And what was the second question? Second question, you bought yourself a bit of time now whilst you, you evidently <laughs> think around the answer. Don't worry, I, I know your tricks, Francis. Uh, it's um, your, your younger self. What would you tell um, Francis of the mid-90s as he set about this journey, uh, having learned what you now know? I set out very cautiously uh, and um, uh, really watching the cash in order to survive, which you have to do as a small business. And I, I would I would say to myself, be less cautious, go for it. Okay. Go for it a bit more easily. Yeah. That's okay. what I, nice. Uh, oh perfect. Francis, um thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate your time and I'm uh, very grateful and hopefully the listeners will learn a lot from about you and, and also your journey. Well I hope hope that adds some value to to uh, you and the and the listeners. Thank you very much Paul. Tomman, thank you. This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority for Designated Investment Business and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed.